Hey everyone, welcome back to The Shivering Mouse. I am so excited to have you back here today. Today we're going to talk about Disney legend Angela Lansbury. She was born to an Irish act actress and a British politician, and she moved to the U.S. to escape the Blitz in 1940. She studied acting in New York City, then moved to Hollywood in 1942, where she had great success with MGM. Now that's a pretty quick jump up in popularity, too. Some people spend their whole life trying to make it onto the Hollywood scene. It literally just took her two years from getting to the U.S. before she was already a pretty famous actress. And she starred in very, very famous movies like The Manchurian Candidate and stuff like that with MGM for just a long, long time. And, um, yeah, just to hit that amount of success so so quickly after trying is really impressive. In 1970, however, she moved back to Ireland after some troubles in her personal life. There she worked on bed knobs and broomsticks and uh, mostly kept to stage roles, though, until 1984. So she did a lot of stuff on the London theater, pretty similar to Broadway kind of stuff, except... Uh, Except just in England, you know. <laughs> so then she, uh, in 1990, or sorry, 1984, she started in Murder, She Wrote and played the lead role until 1996. Since then, she slowed down and made occasional appearances in Nanny McPhee in 2005 and Mary Poppins Returns in 2018. But to Disney fans, she was already a Disney legend and will always know her as both Miss Price from Bedknobs and Broomsticks and Mrs. Potts from Beauty and the Beast in 1990. It's funny because despite all of her singing in bed knobs and broomsticks and on the stage, she didn't think her voice was good enough for the song Beauty and the Beast. Now, if you're like me as a Disney fan, you know that you wouldn't have it any other way and wouldn't want any other performer to do it. Her performance of that song was so beautiful and her voice is so unique that it really kind of brought that out, kind of the emotion of that song. And it, it's made it such a sweet song. I really, her version is my preferred version of the song Beauty and the Beast. Today we're also going to talk about how... Uh, some of you have commented on how my tour of the Magic Kingdom back when I started the podcast, you can find the older episodes at patreon.com slash shiveringmouse. I started with a tour of the individual Disney parks, starting with the Magic Kingdom, and I um, kind of walked you around my typical walkthrough of the Magic Kingdom. And some of you said that it was a little unusual that instead of going from Main Street USA straight through the castle, I turned left and immediately went to Adventureland after the Crystal Palace. This is really my preferred way to tour the Magic Kingdom. A lot of it is because in the morning I'm not a super social person. And I'm one of those people like Pearl, if you listen to my Trim Healthy Mama videos, that takes a couple hours to really get moving in the morning. Like, I, I'll be technically awake, but kind of a zombie for an hour or two at least in the mornings. Like, I can zombie my way through breakfast. It's part of why, even though I love breakfast food, breakfast has never been, like, my favorite meal is because I usually don't remember later what I had for breakfast because I'm still kind of zoning into my day, you know? And so... I like to go to Adventureland because it's exciting, and to someone who lives in the frozen north, all the palm trees and lush landscape, it's so exotic. You really do feel like you're on an adventure. I mean, it's super appropriately named, right? So I, I get all excited to be in Adventureland, but also it's a nice, quiet way to start the day with everybody else blasting over to Fantasyland, just to walk through the Swiss Family Tree House with maybe just you or 
you know, one or two other families. We went in August last time I went, which is one of the busiest times of the year to go. And it was still just my husband and I and one other family on the whole Swiss family tree house. So it really is very quiet over there in Adventureland. And I kind of need that quiet to start my day. And then, you know, I hop over onto the Jungle Cruise and get my fill of dad jokes, which really cheer me up and put me in a great mood. So it, it's really a fantastic start to the day for me. I think probably a day that starts this way, I don't think there could be a day better than that. It's pretty fantastic. From there, you know, hop over to Frontierland. Now this is right up my husband's alley. He liked the country bears and, you know, the Thunder Mountain Railroad is my one of my favorites. I have a lot of good memories with my best friend there riding it after dark and the guy would just let us ride over and over and watch the fireworks under under on Thunder Mountain Railroad. So Frontierland over there, then kind of swing back around to Liberty Square. Because, you know, I've got to check out my house, the Haunted Mansion. I used to want to live there when I was a kid. I thought it was like an actual house and you could live in it. When you're a kid, you don't think about too much that there's no way all that stuff fits in that little bitty house that you can see from there. But, yeah, as a, as a kid, actually, from what I've heard, you'd be surprised how many people think that that is, like, where the actual ride takes place is in the facade there. But, no, it's, it's somewhere else. But as a kid, I always wanted to live in the Haunted Mansion, and so I, I still kind of call it my house. And then you can check out, you know, say by now it's about lunchtime, you can get your lunch at the Columbia Harbor House or um, Liberty Tree Tavern. You know, there's a lot of great places to kind of pause there in Liberty Square. You can check out the Christmas Shop and Memento Mori. Just kind of gently cruise your way through. Now, by the time you've made it to Fantasyland, it is always one of the busier parts of the park, but this is kind of a slower time for Fantasyland because that morning rush that all went to Fantasyland first thing in the morning have now split either right to Tomorrowland or left to um, Liberty Square and Frontierland. So now you're getting probably like half of what the crowd that you would have had if you had gone straight there in the morning. From there, I, you know, check out Fantasyland. Um, I'm not going to lie, guys. I often skip Peter Pan just because the line for it, I think, is truly insane for it being you know, just a, a movie reliving dark ride. It is a classic. It is something that if you have never gone on it, you have to wait that way because it is one of those things on a, on a Disney must-do list. It is a classic, and with Snow White and Mr. Toad being gone, it just makes Peter Pan kind of that much more important because it's one of the only ones of those classic dark rides that's really left, at least on our side of the country over here. So you definitely have to do Peter Pan once or twice. I don't think it's something you have to do every time if you're familiar with the Peter Pan movie. Um, a lot of the scenes are taken directly from that. Fun fact, though, I read somewhere that the that parts of the ride were made before the movie. So there are little bits and pieces that you'll notice may be a little bit different from the movie, um, you know, Email me at shiveringmouse at gmail.com or put something in the comments at patreon.com slash shiveringmouse. Tell me if you spotted some of the difference between the Peter Pan attraction and the Peter Pan movie. Also, I hear that the new interactive queue that they put in there is pretty phenomenal. So next time I will probably try to ride Peter Pan, even though it's been several years. Because while the attraction's not different, I do kind of want to check out the interactive queues. The changes they've made to these are pretty cool. Oliver, don't eat your leash. Good boy.
Sorry about that, guys. Um, from Fantasyland, I then hop over to Tomorrowland. By now, it's hot, my feet are sore, and I am excited about sitting on the TTA, the Tomorrowland Transit Authority, the People Mover, whatever you want to call it. I adore it, and I will sit on there and just cool myself as you go through kind of those couple little fast turns there and love looking in on Space Mountain and just getting a little break from all of the walking on cement, you know, and then um, then you have the pleasure to go and maybe do Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor. I have yet to do it, but I hear it's fantastic. And my husband's really into shows and stuff like that. So I think um, next time I go, if we can find the time, or if we ever go on a trip, just the two of us, we'll just do show after show after show. And he would love that. That'd be right up his alley. And this would be one that's high on our list to check out. And... Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of cool stuff in Tomorrowland. If you wanted to do, they have a pretty great dessert party for the fireworks viewing. So if you wanted to hop over and do that, now's a great time. You've got to do Space Mountain and Carousel of Progress, though. Carousel of Progress is one that almost never has, like, a really, really big line. It was, I think we got in the first time they opened the doors um, when we went last time so it was really easy to get in and to me this is one that has such a connection to Walt and the World's Fair that this is one that I never never miss I absolutely love it from here I swing back around and uh, you know you can check out Main Street if you want to and check out that confectionery if it's hot and you've got kiddos this is a perfect time to kind of duck out of the parks and take an hour or so out of the sun to chill by the pool give little babies a nap time stuff like that and uh, if you don't and you're like me you circle right around back to Adventureland it's time to hit your top 10 favorite hits so you know you hop back on Pirates you hop back on Haunted Mansion you try to get in second Z's on all of your very favorites of the day because you know if you're like the average American family you can only go every three to five years if ever and so all of the things that were your favorites you want to hit them again because it's going to be a while before you get to come see him again. This would be the point where I'd usually also try to find somewhere for dinner if I don't have an advanced dining reservation, um, since most people do. This would be a time where, like, I would try to time it right to do Skipper can Canteen or something like that at this point. Sorry, I'm getting hiccups here. But yeah, you want to do a sweep through and hit your favorites one last time before you kind of stop and settle in, watch the fireworks, and bid the day good day. And uh, if it's your first time going to Disney, this might not even be an option. Like, you don't really want to skip anything, so you really, people who don't skip anything tend to take quite a while getting through the park because you've got a lot to experience. But if you've been there before, you can do as I do and like skip Peter Pan or skip the teacups, something like that and just uh hit your favorites again who knows it's fun we usually do like a girls versus boys thing on the teacups and my mom and i until recently were the only girls so we usually kick butt every time even though my mom gets motion sick she can keep it together really well on the on the teacups so you know i don't know if that's different because she can focus on the handle and and she's uh she's causing the spinning i don't know but we usually 
pretty much get handed the victory on those teacups every time. And now, uh, with my new sister-in-law, I, I do not see us becoming a weaker team because of her. I think until my nephew gets to be older and stronger, we've, we've got to take these years and gloat on our girls versus boys victories because I think we're going to hold the trophy for a while now. But that's kind of my general tour of the Magic Kingdom and why I do it that way. Um, I just tend to be a little more social in the afternoon and evening than I do in the morning, and so that works out perfectly. And now, foolish mortals, for the villain's lair. I picked Hopper from A Bug's Life for today, and he really is the perfect villain for today. Um, this is kind of an update to the classic fable, The Ant and the Grasshopper. I believe it's one of Aesop's fables, so it's kind of a, a classic fable. And Disney made a little short, like an animated kind of watercolor short of it, early in their animation career. The fable deals with the merits of independence, planning ahead, and working hard. The grasshopper mocks the ant or ants for working and laboring all day long to put away food for the winter when it's nice outside. It plays and sings and dances all of the nice days away. And in the winter, when the ant is starving to death, it begs the ants to take it in. They know that a parasite of this size in their colony would collapse the colony, that there wouldn't be enough food to feed it. I mean, one grasshopper is the size of several ants and therefore must eat as much as several ants. And the worst part is they've rationed their food to fit their colony for the winter. So they do have to turn the grasshopper away. They tell him to sing and dance the winter away the day, the way he did in the summer. Um, so basically it's the importance of self-reliance and preparing if you want to survive. You can't depend on other people to carry you through your whole life because some people won't and some people can't. And often most people are in one of those two groups. This is not a lack of compassion, but a lack of ability to support people who will sit around and do nothing. If anything, it's more compassionate that these people are forced to endure some small amount of hardship in order to kind of motivate themselves to not ha put themselves in that situation again in the future. Um, there is, you know, a couple versions of it where the ants do take compassion on the grasshopper and take him in at the end and it's shown that uh, he's grateful and everything but it doesn't seem like his ways have changed that much by the end of the end of the clip he's usually just singing and playing the next summer so it does show the nature of human beings where when one gets away with something more will follow and if you get away with something once if the ants take you in and take care of you one winter well why on earth wouldn't they do it the next winter and the next they're compassionate people they'll just take care of you you don't have to take care of yourself and uh of course once one person sees that everybody's getting away with this, well, they don't want to have to work if somebody else will take care of them, right? So it undoubtedly leads to where we see the movie A Bug's Life take up. It undoubtedly and inevitably leads to entitlement. Hopper and his gang feel entitled to take all of their needs from the ants. They see it as their right to benefit from the ants' labor so that they can relax all year. They see this as their moral right, even as it makes living harder and harder and harder for the ants to survive. If you observe human nature, Hopper is a natural progression from the original Disney's Ant and Grasshopper cartoons, where the ants saved the grasshopper. 
People paid to do nothing don't change. They don't become productive. They don't learn a lesson. They breed and bring friends and react with rage and violence if ever they feel that their free ride is threatened because they believe they deserve an easier life for hardships that they never had to endure but may have not been endured by previous generations and may not. No matter what the cost to those who are providing for their lazy lifestyle, even if it causes complete collapse. And so that's why we're so relieved when we see Flick kind of fight back against Hopper's entitled attitude where he feels like the ants are there just to provide for him so that he can relax in what looks like his some kind of a cabana situation happening in the desert, you know, his... His lifestyle is so easy that he can live in the desert and survive because he doesn't have to work to provide and prepare his own food. Whereas the ants have to provide not only enough food for themselves for winter, but for all of the grasshoppers who refuse to work. The grasshoppers respond with huge, huge disproportionate violence when asked, you know, we really can't survive this. Do you think maybe you could provide some of your own well-being some of your own living for yourself and of course their violence is considered acceptable to them being asked to provide for and take care of yourself always seems unreasonable if you've never had to do it before because you always assume someone else will take care of you and when you're a child if you have to learn this life lesson the hard way it just kind of slowly becomes a part of your upbringing but as an adult if you've never had to face having to take care of yourself it's much harder to learn this lesson for some people and because they feel at this point that they have a right to just live comfortably i've been very disturbed before hearing kids even little kids say oh i should never have to do anything that i don't want to do i should never have to do anything that i'm uncomfortable with well, you know, good luck living your whole life that way. I'm uncomfortable when I wax my eyebrows, but I do it anyway, because who wants a caterpillar face, right? I mean, there's there is so much of life that is discomfort and hardship, and it makes you appreciate the moments that aren't like that so much more. But, I don't know, to me, it just... People have a complete lack of shame when it comes to becoming a burden for other people around them. Not only do they have a lack of shame about it, but they feel like the other person should be happy, should be proud to carry the burden of this other person's life. And it just disgusts me so much. And we see that with Hopper, how he reacts with insane, irrational violence when it is even slightly suggested that he's being a parasite, when it's even slightly suggested that maybe he should take care of himself. He responds violently, and that violence, that rage, comes out of fear, because at the end of the day, like Naveen had to realize in The Princess and the Frog, I don't know how to do anything. The problem with never doing anything is eventually you don't know how to. You have none of those skills. But you can't admit that because then you'd have to admit that you're actually inferior to the person that you're abusing. And rather than learning from that person so that you no longer have that inferiority because you have the skills to take care of yourself, it's easier to lash out at that person. How dare they think that you can do the things that they can do? It's really terrible because really by becoming this bully you make yourself weaker and you force yourself into dependence. Dependence always makes you weak. 
that's kind of part of why I struggle with Evelyn Dever from Incredibles 2, is because she points out dependence makes you weak. Her, uh, <laughs> her solution, I don't agree with at all, because again, I'm not one who thinks that things should come to violence, whether it's you trying to deal with your own entitlement and you just feel that you have a right to someone else's, in the case of Bugs Life, someone else's grain and fruits, or if you feel entitled to have someone else protect you, as in, is the case in The Incredibles. Either way, when you depend on somebody else, you end up making yourself weaker. You lose the skills necessary to survive. And at the same time, you usually end up blaming the people who are providing for you, who are helping you survive, for your own weakness. So it's a never-ending cycle of excuses and weaknesses. Excuses and blame and weaknesses. And so... It's terrible because often, especially in the case of It's a Bug's Life, the ones that are doing the providing are, like, they, they don't see it as a bad thing until Flick comes along and kind of changes their perspective and saying, why are we supporting their whole colony when we can't support ourselves? You know, until, and he's established as a thinking outside the box kind of guy right from the beginning of the shot. But until until he comes around with that different perspective, the ants do see it as their place, their responsibility to take care of these grasshoppers who will not take care of themselves. And it's not until he points out that, well, they're bigger and stronger than us. Why can't they take care of themselves? We can't afford to do it anymore. And, um, I mean, granted it's Flick's fault that they can't afford to do it because he dumped all of the, uh, all of their gift to the ants. But the point is, if the ants could just freaking take care of themselves, this wouldn't be a problem, right? Now, I don't know, it's it's kind of an interesting twist on the ant and the grasshopper fable, because in this position, instead of the ants being in the power position, the grasshoppers are. And while physically that makes sense, I've actually seen a grasshopper eat an ant. It was horrible. I don't recommend it. It was gross and sad at the same time. But, um, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting way that they've kind of shifted around the ant and grasshopper fable. And so I almost think of A Bug's Life as a sequel to the original Disney's Ant and the Grasshopper film where the ants do rescue the grasshopper. In the original Aesop's fable, they do not. And the grasshopper has to deal with the consequences of her, not her actions, rather her inaction of preparing. She did not prepare herself for the winter and she suffers because of it. In the original version, apparently she was a cicada, but be that as it may, it's kind of the same idea. It's a singing insect that spends its time singing instead of preparing for winter and suffers because of it. The lesson to learn from both versions of this is to prepare yourself for, you know, any disaster in your life, to live industriously, work hard, and be independent. Whereas the lesson from a bug's life has more to do with standing up to bullies and not letting yourself be taken advantage of. And so... Either one is a good lesson, I think. It's not good to let other people take advantage of you, especially people who are endlessly kind of having a parasitical relationship with you. There may come a time where you, I don't know, don't necessarily need to break that off, but you do need to encourage the person to gain more independence on their own because there does come a point where their unwillingness to take care of themselves will start to affect your ability to take care of yourself and you can't take care of 
them if you can't take care of yourself, right? So in the end, this person, these parasitic relationships, only hurt themselves because they make the person who takes care of them incapable of continuing to do so. But I don't know, I just see it as really interesting that in Disney's version, in the more recent Disney version, I guess, they went ahead and kind of course corrected in a totally different way. I think it's a very different moral from the original Ant and the Grasshopper fable. And, uh, I don't know, Disney has liked, I guess this was originally Pixar, but they've liked switching around their morals as their own morals have become murkier and murkier. So... Who knows? We'll see if they continue along. We haven't seen one based on kind of a classic fable in a while, but it'll be interesting to see any future movies. Um, it doesn't look like A Bug's Life is going to be one of the ones that Disney Pixar makes a sequel to, so who knows? I don't know. The lesson is kind of different. Also, if you ride the Bug's Life attraction at Animal Kingdom, that has more of a humans versus bugs feel to it. Hopper is definitely depicted as a bully in that scene, but um, it's, I don't know, it's just very different. It's, it's different from the actual movie version, but it did prepare me. The uh, attraction came out before the movie did, so I was already prepared with Hopper being the bad guy in my brain even then, but of course this came out in the time where Disney was not doing the switcheroo villains on you, so you kind of knew who the bad guy was the minute you saw him. For crying out loud, he's brown. Like, like, mud brown. I don't know, I guess. Just insects are kind of creepy as it is. He just always looks so dry and weird. I think it's those eyes. I don't know. You just knew right from the beginning that Hopper was the bad guy because of the violent way in which he bursts into the into the anthill and stuff too. So it's it's interesting. You know, they make the ants these cute little blue guys and the grasshoppers are much more realistically animated, I think, than the ants are. Maybe that's why his appearance is so jarring. I don't know. But you knew right away, oh, man, that's the bad guy. And so there you go. You know, I don't know. Hopper is an interesting new take on the ant and the grasshopper fable. I don't think it gets across quite the right message as it pertains to Aesop's fables, but it definitely is still a pertinent one for today. So just kind of mind your relationships, keep them healthy, and if you do know somebody in your life that is struggling with kind of over-dependence or codependence, try and help them gain the strength to stand on their own two feet. I know having somebody depend on you a lot is an easy way to feel needed. It's an easy way to feel important, but really for that person's future, it really is in their best interest that they learn to be strong. And so help them in that way. And it will inevitably help you when you come to a hard time and you find you can't support that person. And that person doesn't know how to survive without your support. So that's kind of my, my take on Hopper. I think instead of reacting with sadness, a lot of people are, are more comfortable reacting with anger when challenged. And to me, I don't think sadness was ever an option with Hopper because he was pretty much open about the fact that he was using the ants, whereas I think most users are not aware of their 
parasitic tendencies. I think most of them just see it as the way life is. I don't think they think that much about it. And, um, you know, they're usually pretty nice people. Unlike Hopper, they're usually not doing it to be cruel. Like I said, I think they just think of it as this is my place in life. These people take care of me. And so it can come as a shock when that person is no longer able to. So it is best to encourage them to reach out and gain their own strength and independence where you can. So that was kind of the lesson I took from It's a Bug's Life and the lesson I took from Hopper. If any of you have a different interpretation of that, I would love, love, love to hear it because it is a very interesting story. But the Ant and the Grasshopper is one story that can be interpreted a lot of different ways, as can A Bug's Life. So I would love to hear your takes on it. A lot of it had to do with just... um, you know, people being too dependent on other people and how psychologically people tend to lash out when that belief is challenged. I would love to hear any different interpretations. And um, thank you so much for tuning in to The Shivering Mouse today. If you do want to contact me with your interpretations or any other ideas for shows, for interests, for any questions you have, you can always contact me at shiveringmouse at gmail.com or patreon.com slash shiveringmouse. And uh, I will look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in.